This is the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe, and notifier button so you can be aware whenever a new episode is available. Also, leave a comment and a review. We would really appreciate that. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. I wanted to remind you of our Road to a Thousand Subscribers giveaway that we have going on our YouTube channel. If you subscribe and have a public profile, you'll be entered to win a free RX Smart Gear original jump rope. You'll get to pick the pattern of the handles, the color and weight of the cable, and you'll be getting one of the best-selling, best-performing jump ropes out there. Every time we hit a new century mark with the number of subscribers to our channel, we'll randomly select a new winner. And our friend Dave Newman is going to throw in a little something extra for each winner. So a special thanks to our sponsor, RX Smart Gear, to Dave Newman for being such a great partner, and to you for being a loyal listener. Good luck, and I hope you are our next winner. And we're good. All right, so these are my co-hosts, uh, Kat Shear and Amy Radowski. Um, hey and, we, and they are the friends of the Clydesdale and friends. <laughs> friends. And you're the Clydesdale. I am the Clydesdale. I am the Clydesdale. It sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like uh, someone entering a room. I am the Clydesdale. <laughs> yeah. Good entrance. Yep. <laughs> or like a world wrestling. <laughs> when you're my size, you're just used to that. Like <laughs> You come in big. Yeah. I love the, uh, the Eddie Van Halen in the background there. The, yep. In memory of. Yeah, man. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember like contemplating. I had like a crappy, uh, it's like cheap guitar. And I like considered like, you know, taping it up and painting it at one point, you know, um, I'm not like a, Van Halen isn't like my favorite band by any stretch, but like, I, I really appreciate them. And so I was like, Oh, it's like his guitar is just so iconic. I said, Maybe I'll do that. Cause it's just like a cheap guitar anyway, but never got around to it. Spray, I, anyway, I'll let you go. <laughs> you, do you well, play no, no. guitar? Yeah. You play guitar. Right? Yeah. Yep. I do. Um, I don't, I don't really make the time for it anymore. I can still play. It's not something you like lose. You definitely get a little worse. Um, you know, get a little rusty and the fingers get like really stiff easily and the calluses aren't built up there anymore. But yeah, I played guitar. I mean, there was a time in my life when I was like, you know, 16 to 19, where at times I felt more, you know, of a guitar player than an athlete. Like that was something I was really, really passionate about. Um, I suppose I spent more of my free time, uh, like when I was training as a, as a athlete, whether it was volleyball or swimming, I was, you know, I was hundred percent focused, but like when I wasn't on the you know in the pool or on the floor you know all my spare time was like reading about guitars and you know buying magazines and learning songs and just like playing 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 or, or doing homework um i didn't really like associate like the fact that i could like do more to be better at sports like outside of just like the regular practices um, i did if someone gave me something like if a coach said like hey do these sets and reps in the gym or do these you know this jumping program i'd do it um, but I didn't like understand like, oh, you could like stretch or you could like, you know, just do more. So that more time for me was usually spent like with music and playing my guitar. So, so did you find that playing the guitar like centered you like as a way to balance kind of all those things? I just really enjoyed it. I think like looking back, I think there was like a time where I kind of liked this idea. Not that I knew the expression at the time, but like Renaissance man. Uh, the Renaissance man is like a guy who can like, you know, is like an athlete and a musician and a scholar and all those types of things. And so I think like without knowing that term, um, I think I learned that term for the first time when I was like 22. But I just like that idea of just kind of being multifaceted, whereas now I'm pretty, pretty one dimensional <laughs> with my fitness. I, I joke with some people that sometimes that I probably um, I'm getting more dumber. Uh, <laughs> because I'm like not as I'm just like not reading as much and I'm not uh, you know I, I still have my accounting degree but I'm not like actively practicing so those kind of chops are getting a little little looser but um, you know just all with all things there's a season and the music will come back as will the scholarly pursuits one day so so here's my last guitar question I played up until <laughs> I started CrossFit and I tried to play probably for the first year I was CrossFitting five days a week, my fingers got so banged up from CrossFit that it, it actually started to hurt to play guitar. Now, maybe I'm just bad at CrossFit. Hmm. Maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that's the key to it, but it actually, CrossFit actually made my guitar playing decrease tremendously. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's probably part of that. I mean, you know, 
if you're training CrossFit, it's like a pretty a high intensity, you know, pursuit. Right. And so, you know, it's hard to, uh, you know, add on anything else that's like physically and sometimes even mentally demanding. Um, I know someone who Rob Forte would coach some athletes in like motocross and he would bring them into the CrossFit gym and they do some workouts to, you know, improve their fitness, but he would, he would stay away from anything in the CrossFit gym that was in any way grip intensive because with motocross, he's like, they're already doing so much of this and they're holding the bike that like, you know, we don't do toes to bar. We don't do touch and go cleans. Like you just try to like find ways to, you know, keep them active, get them moving, but just like avoid anything that's like slightly resembles grip fatigue. And a lot of CrossFit is, you know, double overhand grip. Like that's a huge, so it's like, if that, if that fatigues your fingers or your forearms or whatever that is, and then that's playing into something else, whether that's guitar, maybe, um, or even, you know, if you're working with your hands, like you're a mechanic or something, I could definitely see that, like not be a, wouldn't be a good pairing potentially. Well, we are five minutes in and we're already way off script, um, which yeah. is awesome. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I want to know what's going on here. What's oh, like this, is, this, this is called lazy. Uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I grew my, I grew my beard out a bit and had a mustache in, uh, in December. And, uh, usually I'll just, you know, I'll grow up my facial hair a bit and, and then, um, I trim it and I go, Oh geez, like it's so much better trip. Like I, that's always, you kind of like, yeah, I don't mind this. I don't mind you trim it. And you're like, oh, I look better. But this was the one time where I had the mustache and then I shaved it. And both me and my wife are kind of like, I kind of miss the mustache. Uh, we both do. So I might bring it back eventually. I don't really have any like, you know, concrete plans for that, but um, you know, it's not something I'm against maybe in the future, but yeah, right now this is just like, I don't know couple days of uh just good. me not, you, me not shaving you an edge my husband grows a goatee and i say it makes him a little meaner because he's got like such a <laughs> kind face so it makes you a little edgy yeah i've got a little little bit of a wonder bread uh kind of vibe so it's, it gives me a little a little something extra a little bite a little bite <laughs> a little mustard on the wonder bread <laughs> Well, if you are listening to this and you don't know who we're talking to, you apparently are new to CrossFit. Um, we're talking to Brent Fikowski, um, several times, six-time games athlete, um, yep, uh, a couple times podium, and uh, yeah, and we're going to talk to him about like where he came from, what got him into CrossFit, and what his plans are for the upcoming season, plus all the stuff he has going on outside of CrossFit that are kind of that's kind of associated with it. Um, the first question I'm going to ask you, because it happened today, and you can decline to comment if you wish, um, the, there was a change at leadership today at CrossFit LLC, oh. um, and Eric Rosa stepped down. Okay. Oh, I think I saw that. Did he step down? I think he changed roles. Sidestepped. Yeah. yeah. He, he, yeah. The letter said step down to become chairman of the board. Um, right. Okay. And they're, they're looking for a new um, CEO. Oh, cool. And, yeah, that's any, exciting. Any comment? I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those things, really. It's like the same as the the Dave Castro announcement where it's like, well, let's kind of see what functionally that looks like in terms of how that affects, you know, what you and I experience through the brand of CrossFit, right? Like we don't really know, you know, obviously with, with, with Dave, there was a, you know, a public... Uh, perception and, and you know it's was, it was pretty accurate I think that you know he had a, a large part of how like the CrossFit Games and even I think the training to a certain extent like functioned so there's this like thought of well if he leaves is that going to functionally change um, and it will I imagine but how much I don't really know and I don't think anyone really knows even the people there like you know are they going to just try to kind of replicate what Dave did and I think that's possible. And so if they choose to say, you know what, we're just going to try and do what Dave did, you know, kind of take, they're probably not going to replace Dave with like a person that's going to do all of Dave's roles. It's like, okay, well, we need to do the programming. We need to like build hype for the sport online. We need to announce the workouts. Like those are kind of some of the pieces of his job and you can get a variety of different people and groups of people to do those roles. And if they just try to copy it, they probably could like, you know, I mean, programming is very, uh, um, subjective, not objective. Like, you know, it's, you ask a hundred people, how was the programming at this year's games? They're going to say a hundred different things. Some people say it was great. Some people say it was good. And the ones that say it was bad are probably going to say it was bad for different reasons. So, you know, I think like with Dave's, you know, it was obviously big news because he's been like a huge, uh, you know, 
very uh, visual forefront of the company, but you know, the company is larger than one person and with Eric changing roles as well. Will we see any like ripple effects in how CrossFit functions with Eric moving? Probably not. Um, and I, I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I, I hope the best for Eric. Like I like Eric, um, had some good conversations with him and, you know, I hope it's the best for him and his family. And I'm sure CrossFit will do really well and, you know, have bring someone else in or maybe someone else within the company will get promoted to that CEO role, but I'm sure Eric will still be like very involved. Um, I don't know if that, I, I feel like I, that was a very political response. <laughs> I, didn't really say, I didn't really say anything, but well, I mean, it, it's like, you know, it cross, just happened cross, like four hours ago. So to, yeah, to get I mean, any kind of educated response, I just wanted to see if you had anything to say. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't really. Yeah. I mean, CrossFit, you know, CrossFit's going to live on. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a brand, it's a, it's rolling down a hill. Right. And, you know, there's going to be things where you can kind of like push it in one direction or the other, but as we saw, like a, you know, a huge thing that shaped what CrossFit is and will continue to is like COVID. And that's something that pushed it in a different direction that no one planned for. And then there'll be things that, you know, like as a company or as a group of people, like maybe, you know, me with the athlete association, will try to steer it in a different direction. And that will inevitably probably lead it somewhere that we didn't even want it to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to, it's, it's rolling down a hill. There's a lot of momentum with, with CrossFit and there will always be, I think. And, um, you know, individual people are going to play a role in that, but a lot of that's like, it's just kind of like spirit forces. It's just, it's a combination of a bunch of factors and it'll, and, you know, you ask a hundred people, like, what is CrossFit? And they're probably going to give you a hundred different answers as well. Cause it's like transcended what any one person would like even attempt to define it as, if that makes sense. Like it's a really, yeah. you know, it's a big thing, right? Do you have, do you have any ties to CrossFit aside from the sport? Like, do you, are you, do you own an affiliate? Are you a coach? Have you taken your level one? Like what, what sort of touch points aside from the sport do you have? Yeah, uh, that's good. With your... That's a good question. Um, I don't own an affiliate. I actually don't really even attend an affiliate anymore just because of COVID. Um, I have a gym in my backyard, uh, which is not affiliated. <laughs> and uh, and I, I have taken my level one, but I'm, I think it, there's a five-year cycle on that, right? So that's, that's done. Um, I don't, so I'm not officially a, a level one, you know, certified trainer at the, this exact moment, not to say that I won't be again in, at some point. Um, but I just don't coach any classes. And so, yeah, my only touch point is, you know, I pay $20 for the open, then I pay $50 for quarterfinals. Then I pay $250 to go to regionals or sorry, semifinals. Hopefully I, you know, hopefully go somewhere, some, hopefully go somewhere prize money there. And then I pay, you know, $350 to go to the games and, you know, I call myself a CrossFit Games competitor. And, uh, but yeah, so, you know, other than that, that's about it, <laughs> which is an interesting thing. Cause it's like, you know, when I, when people ask me, like, like, you know, I was at an appointment earlier today, I'm kind of moving around. I'm stretching a bit. I was sitting a lot this morning and I have to sit a bunch this afternoon. So I'm kind of like in this couch stretch uh, position here. <laughs> and uh, today they asked me like, Oh, what's your job? And, and it, I still don't feel comfortable. I'm like, Oh, I'm a, professional athlete and I kind of just like mumble it and they're like oh cool what do you do I'm like I like I do CrossFit competitions and some people you know it's always interesting people's response to that um <laughs> but it's because you know it's interesting I can use that I use that word to describe it yet like there is really an actual you know bond there right it's there's not like a contractual thing but I suppose that's the same if you were a um I don't know a triathlete you know you just go to these triath triathlon competitions and you sign up and if you keep doing well then you know but i guess if you make the olympics you can call yourself an olympian which actually has you know there's government funding for that but anyway a little bit of side sidebar so you mentioned the association uh so we'll just head in that direction now um you 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 were part of the group that started the pfaa um a few years ago the initial the initial um, kind of mission of that was to just athlete safety. That's what your initial focus was. Where are you at now with the association and with the changes in leadership over time, have you gotten a better voice with CrossFit overall? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we're still plugging along. Honestly, a lot of it I've been doing and, you know, a group of us have been doing, been kind of quiet about it. Um, you know, but, but we have been doing work, uh, it's not a secret society, but I also don't want it to become like a political organization either. Um, you know, I've been asked to like comment on 
someone will reach out like, Oh, you know, like PFA should make a statement on how they feel about this. And I'm like, well, I don't really feel comfortable like speaking on behalf of a group of athletes um, because it's like, I don't know how they feel. Um, so it's not really my place, uh, nor is it ever going to be the place of us to do that. So the, the idea is to get, um, you know, we finalized some bylaws. We're going to get, uh, I'm still working on kind of like reaching out to these athletes this week, you know, reelect our uh, executive board who will then, you know, hope to kind of represent, uh, you know, a group of athletes, the, the higher level athletes, the the ones that are competing at the games, the ones that are doing well at semifinals and events like that and sort of be, you know, hopefully a group that, you know, competition organizers can reach out to and we can reach out to them and give them our feedback. Right. And hopefully, you know, with our collective voice, you know, they'll be interested in listening to that, listening to our feedback. And then that can like, you know, kind of trickle down and affect the other competitions are, you know, the, the lower divisions as well, without having to have like a, a membership base of like 2000 people with all these different divisions and membership and age groups, which just becomes like a lot of work for me. Um, <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, it'd be great to do that, but it's just more work than I can take on. Um, and the communication has improved. Like, you know, we sent, you know, I collected um, a bunch of data on the heights of athletes and their preferred heights for rings and pull-up bars compiled that data, provided that data to Wadapalooza and, you know, they changed their rings and pull up bar heights from what they were the year before, which is like pretty cool. So, and then after the competition, you know, I reached out to some of the taller athletes, some of the shorter athletes that were there asked their experiences. And so I'm going to kind of do a little more of that, compile that information and then, uh, you know, reach out to, uh, all the semifinals that I can get a hold of and, uh, you know, kind of just like, talk to them about that. Cause I don't think that should be a part of the sport. That's like a, like an unknown element, right? It's like, we know we're going to be doing muscle-ups either on bar or rings. Like it's going to be there, right? We're going to probably do chest bars and toast bar. Like it's not, that's not a surprise anymore. That's not, um, and you should, everyone should be able to do them without hitting their feet on the ground, but also do them without having to jump like two and a half feet and like not, you know, I, there's a story of a shorter athlete who had to put a, a heavy vest or a backpack or something on at a competition had to jump up with one hand to the ring swing grab the other one and start the ring muscle ups and when you're trying to be the best in the world and this is a really high level athlete it's like you're trying to win thousands of dollars to pay for your entire year of training like that extra few seconds and that expended energy to do that it's like oh like you can automatically you will not win that workout best you can do is fifth and then it just like you just you just like cut that off and for someone taller like myself or more aptly uh Matt, Matt Blugos, uh, from, he trains in Vegas. He's very tall. He's like six foot three, six foot four. It's like, if he goes to a competition and there's a workout with chest bars and his feet are dragging on the ground, it's like, Oh, like best case, you're coming 15th in that workout. Like you just, you can just, you can't win that workout if your feet are dragging. And that's just not really, uh, you know, it's not really fair. So I think there, there's been improvement there. Like that's just a concrete example of some improvement. And we worked on like an, a, a list of equipment that, um, you know, cause it's been frustrating as an athlete where you'll go to a competition and you're like, not really sure what you're allowed to use or not use. Um, so like an example of that is, you know, you go to a competition and you say like, well, like, can I wear this weight belt or, you know, can I wear knee wraps or, or knee sleeves? And what does that look like? And so like, I was at a competition once where they had this like internal document that I wasn't aware of that said you couldn't wear knee wraps. And I'm like, well, why not? Oh, you can't wear it. Like it's here. Okay. So then I didn't wear knee wraps, but then in that same document, it listed like four inch weight belts were okay, but nothing over four inch. And then I see someone wearing a five inch weight belt and I go, well, so you're going to enforce the knee wraps, but not the weight belt. And I mm -hmm. only have a four inch weight belt. So why don't I bring a six inch weight belt, which is more beneficial. It's going to cover more surface area. So it's like, we need to have, you know, we need to have rules and we talk about professionalizing sport. And when you talk about that, a lot of people talk about money. Um, which don't get me wrong, like that's going to be a piece of the puzzle. But until you have like a equitable, fair playing field and some safety as well tied into that, um, you know, where, where, how can you, you know, the money doesn't mean anything if the placings don't mean anything. And if there's no like consistency, then it's like, you know, where do you even start? Like, I mean, I, I started this sport and for the first three, four years, I didn't make any money and I did it because I loved it. Um, and so I think there's always going to be a group of people that are always going to be in that boat. And it's like, we want, I want to make sure that those people are competing in a, you know, on a playing field that is consistent and fair. And, you know, if they're 
eighth best person at a competition, they should come eighth, you know, um, not ninth and not seventh. Anyway, a lot going on there, but <laughs> I actually, I actually yeah. talked to Matt on the podcast the day the ruling came down about the, the bar height and the ring height. And he was telling me that, yeah, it's an equitable thing, but it's also a safety thing for him to do the ring muscle ups on the lower rings. He actually has to put his body in an awkward position to complete the muscle up and he risks injury every time he does that. Are you talking about Matt uh, Delugos? Yeah, Matt Delugos. Delugos. Yeah, I, I, I've actually was just texting him two days ago, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So, <laughs> <laughs> full disclosure. Um, yeah, nice guy. I, I wonder too if there's a way to get with the like with Rogue or the people that are manufacturing the equipment because I imagine that the big one of the biggest limitations of having to accommodate that size is the ability to sort of move the bar, you know, move the rig, move the rings in a way that's quick and easy in between, you know, heats and things like that with logistics of the competition. Um, is anyone like talking to Rogue to sort of figure out how they can make equipment that's a little more modular to help in that regard? Yeah, I, um, it's on my list uh, to get in touch with them. Like some of the athletes in the PFA are, you know, sponsored by Rogue. So the communication channel there is pretty easy. It's it's on the list there. Um, obviously not every single competition. Most of them are, uh, are road competitions, not every single one. I think some of the semis last year, like, you know, maybe the event in South Africa, for example, I don't think they had rogue, uh, a rogue equipment. So it kind of has to start with the competition organizer and at least an awareness around that, but you are right. I mean, in an ideal world, you'd have like a, a pull-up bar that was on a, I think in the, <laughs> in the, in the sort of long document I posted, I mentioned like in an ideal world, you would be able to adjust it like electronically. So as soon as the heat was done, you like type in, like, I want it to be at 94 inches and it would just, it would just kind of like be there. You know, that that's like, you know, that I'm not saying we're ever going to even get there, but it's kind of important to start at the ideal and then work your way back to the realistic. Um, if nothing else, the, the, although it is somewhat cost prohibitive, the best option is set the rings and set the pull-up bar at the height for the tallest athlete that's at the competition, keep them there and then allow for um, mats to be stacked underneath. And right now they use, they call them risers, which mm -hmm. are um, usually six inches. And they're, I believe they are uh, 20 by 20 inches. Um, ideally those would just be much larger. So they'd be like four feet by six feet, which is extreme, but then you know that you can stack them, you know, maybe even 18 inches high. Uh, so that, you know, a very short athlete could use the same rings, which have the same strap length because shorter strap lengths are, are advantageous. So if you have the, everyone has the same strap length, you know, no one has to jump. And then if the shorter athletes doing their ring muscle ups and they kind of slip or they jump down, then they have this large mat to fall on as opposed to, you know, a tall skinny block. And then they're hitting their feet on that their feet kick Hurting up. Their ankle. The yeah. Yeah. Rolling their ankle or, you know, like their feet slip up. And then their heads hitting the floor instead of them just kind of like landing on, like if I slipped and fell on a set of rings, it's like, I know I'm just going to kind of land on my mid back, which, you know, it's on a, on a dollar mat, that's like fine. But if I hit my feet first and then, then it's like, then your head's hitting the ground. So it, you know, simply it's like, I think this, one of the simpler solutions is just providing larger surface area risers um, and have the athletes use those. So that's just like one area. And then just in general, the PFA, um, the communication has improved a lot. Like, you know, we started it in, uh, you know, kind of around the, you know, that whole area of time there, May, June of 2020. Um, and yeah, communication has definitely improved. It's just kind of like slowly gotten better and um, it's tough. Like I, I really want to keep pushing forward and improving and, and I'm really starting to feel that there's a desire for that within the athletes and within CrossFit Inc and other competitions. Like there's this hunger to like make things perfect and make things better, even if everyone's definition of better and perfect isn't the same. Uh, but I also have to remember that that, you know, that takes time, right? It's like, there's these habits and there's these methods that how things have been done for many, many years. And if we look back at, you know, two years ago, let's say the start of 2020, I mean, there was zero communication um, between, you know, competitions and athletes, like zero, right? I mean, uh, you know, like someone like you could probably ask someone who's been doing it. I mean, at that point I've been doing it for, you know, eight years, but you know, I'd never provided any feedback or been asked for any feedback or knew of any athlete of my caliber or higher than my caliber that had ever been 
asked for feedback or provided feedback to a competition on like what they should be doing better or worse. Like it just didn't, those channels communication just did not exist. And we're not, I mean, I think there was a desire for the athletes for some of that, for their voice to kind of be heard and to, you know, provide some, uh, some insights and, you know, ask for changes, whether it be for a fairness or a safety um, concern, but there wasn't really that interest from competitions. And I'm not just saying that from like CrossFit Inc regionals in the games, I'm talking like, you know, every other competition as well. It's just kind of, that's just how things were done, but that seems to be changing. And so it's still going to take time and uh, um, hopefully the PFA will be part of that. You know, it doesn't have to be, but right now we're kind of organizing in a way that I think it you know could provide that service, which is exciting. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think as I examine the, the landscape of CrossFit, I think the athletes are the athletes and coaches are the two groups that don't really have a voice in, in CrossFit overall. And I think for years, there was a fear factor with a lot of that, that people were afraid to speak out in fear of retaliation. Um, and that's my opinion. That is not Brent's opinion. I'm just voicing. That's my I, opinion what, too. That's not something I would usually, I don't think I've ever said that before, but that's something that a lot, not a lot of people understand. Um, I'll read comments, which is always a mistake, but if I ever do, <laughs> you know, people say, well, why, why haven't, you know, why don't they say this? And I'm like, there's a fear factor, right? Because there was a fear that if you, you know, spoke out against something you didn't like, that there would be negative repercussions for your career. Um, even, even re so I'm trying to think of a, without naming names. Uh, so let's say I know of an example where a competition within the last two years. So as things have been changing for the, for the better competition reached out to a coach and uh, you know, well-respected coach that had athletes that were games, athletes and regional athletes, like a stable of athletes. And they asked that coach, um, you know, how did you find our competition? Do you have any suggestions? And I'd love to hear your feedback. And the coach sat on it for a bit uh, you know, a week and then said, you know, no, like nothing really, like it was great. Looking forward to doing it again. And I spoke to that coach and they, they told me that story and they said, because I was afraid that if I actually spoke my mind and said, you know, even if it was constructive criticism with like very, you know, distinct, like, you know, these are some things I didn't love. These are some I love and the things that I didn't love, this is how I personally would change it. And these are the reasons. Um, they were like, you know what? It was a risk that if I did that, I might be, uh, my athletes might not be treated fairly the next time they compete. And so I just kept my mouth shut. And that's, that's, that's something that that's a true story. And that's something very common amongst athletes and coaches that I've, I've heard and felt that throughout the years. And so it seems like that is, uh, I, I feel like that is changing, uh, personally, which is not something, um, I ever thought I'd be able to say, but I feel like that is very changing. Um, I'm a lot, I feel a lot safer and more open to just even mention that on a podcast and also to, um, actually talk to owners of competitions and speak to them quite frankly. Um, and you know, just tell, tell them to it straight, tell them, tell them, tell it to them straight, tell it to them straight. That's what I was trying to say. So yeah, there's, it's positive change, it's, but it's going to take time, right? Like you're not going to see. And I think part of it too, is like, uh, one of the things when we talk about safety, you know, you mentioned that, and I've had a difficult time um, quantifying safety without it bleeding into uh, athletes influencing programming. So that's something that's going to take more time because right now there are really no uh, rules as to what is and what is not um, good programming, whether you call, whether you're looking at good from a efficacy of like, is this fitness is this safe? Is this fair? Those are kind of some buckets you could put programming into. Is it, you know, is it a well-rounded test of fitness? You hear that term, well-rounded, whatever that, you know, that can mean a number of things. Um, and so because there are no rules specifically defining that, um, you know, I might say, I think that doing a workout with, you know, 300 deadlifts for time is unsafe, right? But there would be some people that would say it's not, you just need to be better. So when you talk about safety, and improving the safety at competitions, uh, so much of it, like 90% of it is, is loop. It, it's all comes back to programming. And so until there is some interest in, you know, accepting some guidelines and some, uh, form of parameters that define what is and what is not, uh, programming, like acceptable programming, then it's really hard to broach that subject subject. 
So I'm, we're, I've been focusing and, you know, the PFA is going to focus the first few months and even maybe year. It, a lot of the safety stuff probably won't get addressed because it all, so much of it comes back to programming. And that's like a really subjective subject at the moment until we can create very specific objective criteria for them to follow. Start with, and by they, I mean any competition. Um, and I get it. If I was organizing a competition, the programming is the most fun part. Everything else is boring it's hard work it's logistics it's like organizing people but then you get to write these cool workouts and the last thing you want to do is have someone come in and say like that's too many burpees <laughs> you know or like you need more running and you're just like oh screw you like these are cool uh, so it's, it's it's a really it's good that's going to take a really long time um yeah a bit rambly there but. no no i that was perfect so let's let's switch to some more fun stuff right you yeah, you, grew yeah. up, you grew up in canada um, and on the Western side, correct? Yeah. Um, was it a small town? Uh, yeah. Lethbridge, Alberta, um, which is like a, a city, a town of a hundred thousand. So there's a university and a college there. Um, yeah. And you did swimming and then volleyball were your focus, but you did other sports as well. Yeah. So growing up just like, you know, it's cold in Canada. So most of the sports I would call like indoor sports. Um, but you know, badminton and track and field and you know some taekwondo when i was younger some t-ball a little bit of soccer and just kind of like parents threw me in a little bit of everything and just kind of waiting to see what stuck and I, you know i went i did guitar lessons my sister played piano and um you know i played basketball and then kind of just stuck with found a love for volleyball i was taller as well like i was you know six foot by the time i was in grade you know eight or nine so it was like you know it was tall young and so it's like, well, maybe try basketball or volleyball and uh, basketball just didn't really stick. I, I know now why at the time I didn't really know why, but, um, and then uh, volleyball, yeah, was lucky to have like really, really good coaching in, uh, in Lethbridge. There's really good volleyball coaches there, really great community. And then, yeah, just like kind of fell in love with that. And then swimming was always a mainstay where every summer we would swim, like we call it summer club. And it's kind of like a three and a half, four month season of swimming. It's then in the winter, we play winter sports and in the summer we do this like local kind of swimming circuit. And so swimming was just always like the off season or, I mean, I, that was, I guess you'd call it the off season because you do all this other stuff and then swimming. Um, yeah. And that was pretty much my, uh, you know, grades from grade one to 12, I was swimming every summer. How did that prepare you for your career in CrossFit? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously there's like the physical attributes of that, um, like swimming, you know, there's like a, a muscle endurance component to that. And, uh, you know, the aerobic capacity of that and, and then volleyball, you know, the like repeated power output. Right. So, you know, learned how to do Olympic lifts within you know, the first couple of months, they were technically pretty solid. Cause if you look at something like a push press, very similar to a block, right. You're jumping, you're starting here, you're exploding up with like a partial knee bend and you're pressing the arms over your head. It's like, a, you know, I was, I think I, could split jerk 300 pounds before I could back squat it. Uh, just from like a technical standpoint, it was just a movement that came very naturally. The same with a power clean, like a power clean is, or power snatch is going to be very similar to a, you know, to a, an approach where you have your arms down here and you come up and that's, you know, very similar motion. Um, but I think more than that, something that it, it helped me with is I feel like I'm a good, I'm a good competitor, right? Like I think probably from, you know, grade six to grade 12, probably every second weekend I was competing, right. Whether it was a swim meet or a volleyball, uh, you know, tournament. And so just got very used to, you know, packing food and going to, a, you know, driving somewhere and competing. And, you know, um, that's a, that's a skill like anything else. And so, you know, I've probably put in my, you know, thousand hours of actually competing, which I think is why, you know, I consistently can show up and, uh, you know, perform at a high level, especially at the in-person events. And I think that that's something that's kind of set me apart. And I had really good swimming coaches and volleyball coaches where we talked a lot of worked a lot on the mental game of things. Like we would visualize our swimming races to a point where you could get within, you know, a second or two of your time by just like closing your eyes and doing the race in your head. And, um, you know, volleyball, we would, we would have two or three times a week, we'd have like, um, these classroom sessions, like before, or after training, where we'd, we'd go through game film and we'd talk about strategy and we'd kind of do these like visualization sessions of, you know, performing and winning. And we spoke a lot about like, 
you know, what we defined as success. And that's not just like winning games, but like performing at our best and, you know, performing at your best when your best matters. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, my mindset was probably at its peak then. And I've just been trying to kind of sustain that. And I'll kind of have these troughs where I'll slip into, slip into bad habits and get stressed and, you know, start focusing on the wrong, the wrong thing, start focusing on the outcome instead of, you know, getting back to the original tenants that sort of, you know, allowed me to succeed back then. And usually when I'm like really dialed in on those things and focusing less on the the leaderboard is what we call it in CrossFit, but the scoreboard and every other sport is when I actually perform at my best. So, you know, obviously there's those physical elements. And I think the swimming and the volleyball translated pretty well to good start in CrossFit from like, you know, the physical attributes, but I think the sort of the, the intangibles, like the ability to compete and, you know, the mental side of just like showing up to training every day, um, not because you, you know, not because you were motivated, but because it was just a non-negotiable, right? It's just a non-negotiable part of life is that you wake up and you train and then you go do your job or you go to work or you, you know, go to school and then you go after school, you go train again. And that's just like what you do. And that's when you're there, you give it a hundred percent. You do exactly what your coach tells you. And then when it's time to compete, you do exactly what your coach tells you. And if you're good enough, you'll win. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, you said that trained you a lot for in-person competition. How were you doing with your mindset during COVID CrossFit where you didn't get to compete in person, but you had to do everything online? Yeah, I framed it. Um, I mean, my wife helped me and, uh, you know, we framed it into a positive where it's like, hey, like historically, um, and, and, you know, this isn't to say I, I mentioned the in-person competing Um you know, I, I, I personally believe that I perform very well at home, uh, but just relative to my peers, it seems like I don't perform as well. So whether they aren't performing as well in person <laughs> or it, I think it's a, it's a combination of things, you know, there's some attributes to competing at an online event relative to an in-person event, um, just with the logistics, like how many workouts you're doing, the types of movements in those workouts, the duration of those workouts, how those workouts are programmed. I mean, if you look at a lot of workouts in like the open or something, um, you would just never see that specific workout at the CrossFit games. Like it just wouldn't really make sense. Like you wouldn't see 150 dumbbell snatches at 50 pounds at the games. Like no one, you just wouldn't want to watch that. It'd be a hundred pound dumbbell for 50 reps. So it'd be, you know, it just, it'd be different. Um, so there's, there's different elements there, but as far as getting back to the original question, um, you know, it, it was challenging. Cause like, I, I enjoy competing, you know, like I train a lot. I train really hard. I, you know, I say no to a lot of things every week so I can just focus on training and getting good sleep. And so when that, when that kind of end goal of competing is sort of taken away from you and it just turns into like, Oh, you're in your gym again, but you just have to send us videos and hopefully, you know, you're fast enough and you can, you know, it, it, that's, that was hard. Um, and then the actual act of competing online was a little, you know, it's frustrating because I know that it doesn't favor me as much. And I feel like when I think of what the sport is, I don't think of it as something you do in your gym. I think of it as something you train for in your gym and then you go to a stadium and you, you compete like that's how I view the sport. Um, and so, but you know, my wife helped me reframe it and she said, you know, wouldn't have it any other way, right? It's a great opportunity for you to, you know, try to make it through this, you know, in the case of last year, make it through an online semifinal, prove to yourself that, you know, you can make it through this, this situation that isn't ideal. And then, uh, you know, and then you'll be that much more prepared. If you know, if you made it through that, then you'll be ready for the games because you can make it through that with these really good athletes, the online competition, when you get to the games, you'll be fine. And so, you know, was able to reframe it that way, but still, you know, it was still realistic and, uh, you know, it's still frustrating, a little annoying. <laughs> so have you always done the open from your home then? No, I, I usually used to do the open, uh, at, at, at CrossFit gyms, um, okay. but just with COVID and, you know, the gym sure. here has enough space and stuff. And then I think even, you know, for some, I think for last year, I can't quite remember, but I feel like, you know, the, the logistics of me going to a gym that was a CrossFit affiliate and setting myself up for an open workout. Like, I think there were still some restrictions in place as far as like, you know, masks and high intensity and like space per person. So I would have to come in at like a weird time in between classes, um, you know, and, and, and then some of them weren't affiliated any, anymore. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to submit a video anyway. 
Sure. Um, or you know what it was is, and so then another one of the affiliates that it's like, okay, it's still a CrossFit affiliate. I can go in there. Um, they didn't have, they kind of moved their space around. So there wasn't as much floor space. So I'm like, Oh, if they have, if I have to do walking lunges, like there's nowhere to do it. Cause they, they like built a rig in the middle. Like there's not a big open space anymore. It's all these little like compartments with these racks and rigs. So I'm like, well, if I have to do walking lunges, like I can't even, can't even do them in that gym anyway. So I'm going to have to submit a video from this other gym. So I might as well just do it at home. So yeah, it's a whole thing. You meant, you mentioned Claire helping you reframe everything. She is a native Australian. And at some point during your college career, you moved to Australia. Is that how you guys met? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, I went to the Lethbridge College and then I was finishing my degree as an accountant. Um, I was going to go to a university in Alberta and decided my best friend and I were like, you know what, instead of doing that, let's finish it in Australia. So we, we transferred there. We saved up some money for a year. And then we finished our degree in Australia, played some beach volleyball. It's where I found CrossFit. Um, wasn't, wasn't planning on finding CrossFit there, but it happened and, uh, and found my wife as well. But <laughs> not like we got married right away. But um, yeah, we met because my best friend was dating a girl who was really good friends with, uh, best friends with Claire. And so my best friend and we went on this double date. And uh, yeah, we've been together ever since. It's been, oh, let me think nine and a half years now we've known each other we've met so well, is the yeah. best friend still with the girl uh no but they're they're in, they're they're on good terms no they're on good they, they both came to our wedding uh kind of they had other partners at the time and mm-hmm. uh you know they like it was a was you know they broke up when they left and uh claire and i didn't and then she made her way here and so yeah and so the really cool part of the story is because her family is in australia yours is in canada you eloped to an interesting place. What, what was that like? Yeah. So, you know, we, um, Claire moved here, uh, we were living together and then, you know, got engaged and then we we're going to get married. And so we decided to get eloped in, in Bali in Indonesia, uh, with just like four close friends, uh, with us. Um, cause we was kind of like, you know, we we're going to have the reception here. We we're going to have the reception in Canada or in Australia. And either way, you know, like a group of family was going to sort of be left out. So yeah, we eloped in Bali and had a great, great vacation, a great trip there with some friends. Um, one of the few trips we've taken that didn't involve a CrossFit competition <laughs> over the past like eight years. And so that was really fun. And then we sort of had a little ceremony here in Canada where we had sort of like the first dance and uh, kind of at this hall and had some drinks and stuff. And then we had a ceremony in Australia where we, um, her grandma baked a cake. Uh, she used to bake cakes. Like she had a shop. So, you know, baked a cake there and we had like appetizers. And so Claire got to wear a dress three times, which is like, you know, that's great. Got, I got to wear my little, you know, little tux three times and, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. So that's kind of how we, you know, a little unique, but that's how we got to do it. And everyone kind of got to be a part of something, part of the, you know, the celebration over the course of like a month or two. And yeah. So you also started the professor project. Um, an online programming uh, with three different tracks. Um, why did you decide to do that? And uh, what are your plans for that going forward? Yeah, it sort of changed over the years a little bit. Um, you know, it sort of started, I kind of wanted to do something different. Um, everyone was sort of offering programming and I felt like maybe there was something else I could offer. And so I created, it was sort of a huge video library. I think, I mean, they're all still there, two, 300 videos of um, just kind of deep diving into, you know, competition strategy, um, you know, prepping for events, movement technique stuff, um, mindset, and just trying to do that as sort of like a subscription service to, I kind of, it's like, um, what's the damn, what's the subscription service where people get taught stuff? The, they call it the Academy or something. You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, so I did that and then I realized people wanted programming. So I added programming too. <laughs> there's, I'm like, maybe there's a reason everyone's offering programming because that's what people want. So now we offer programming where there's sort of like a, it's basically what I do every day. Um, you can follow along with that. And then there's a shorter version of it. And then there's a, uh, just still because of COVID and limited equipment, then there's a, like a, sh- a very abbreviated, just like, you know, you have a dumbbell and a jump rope kind of just like at home workout, which my wife often chooses those workouts. She sort of hits those as I'm doing my training. 
Um, and yeah, and then there's still all the videos and then there's just like a community and opportunity to, you know, ask me questions and have a group of people, um, you know, communicating with each other and like all trying to get better. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's not something that I like really planned on doing, but now that I've like done it and it exists, I really enjoy, you know, just like helping people learn and, um, like anything, you know, you get out of it, what you put into it. And like a lot of people really like try to soak up all the content and soak up the videos and ask questions about them. And, you know, they're the ones that are usually, you know, improving the quickest. So it's a lot of fun. I, I was an early adopter of your, your initial videos. I remember specifically your toes to bar and your burpee yeah. strategy mm. for competition that I use over and over again um, when I coach <laughs> classes. So it was super helpful. Yeah. Cool. That's good to hear. Yeah. It's fun. Like I hear that a lot with the rope climb video as well. And, um, mm, that's a good you one. know, I've just, and it's, it's interesting. I actually just, I got a copy of, I uh, sent a copy of Matt Frazier's book and I've just sort of thumbed through it. And there's some interesting, you know, like Matt's not really like, you know, my, my brand is like the professor and like, you know, like analytical and, you know, flipping through Matt's book. Um, you know, his brand is more like, you know, just work hard, show up and just like work harder than anyone and it'll work out. But he has that. And I mean, I work my butt off too. And, but he has that analytical side as well. Um, where, you know, I'm reading his like competition tips and tricks and little things he's done in competition and training to prepare for competition. And he kind of frames it a little differently. Um, he calls it like the speed mindset. And I would just say, I'm like, oh, well, that's just strategy. Like you're just maximizing the abilities you have instead of just saying like, well, I'm really fit. It'll work out if I just go out there and go hard. He's like, well, no, I need to like think about how I'm putting the plates onto the yoke so that I'm not wasting time, like, you know, doing two laps around the yoke when I could just be doing one and a half, half laps, like that kind of stuff. Um, which, you know, I pride myself on that. And, you know, he's not as, hasn't been as public about that or that's not as like um, attached to his brand, so to speak, but it's, I think it's something that all the, the top level competitors do. Like, um, yeah, I've had conversations with Sarah about that. Um, we were training leading up to Dubai in 2019, we were in a gym and I kind of finished my training. So I was just like, you know, helping her set up for an XP. She was uh, testing one of the workouts and, you know, the chalk bucket was, was up here. And I was like, she probably, she's like, yeah, you're right. So she puts it on the floor. Cause she knows in competition, the chalk buckets on the floor. And so it's just like those, she, and she knew that, like, I was just about to tell her and she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So she puts it on the floor. Cause it's like, well, you're not, if you want to practice this workout, like you're going to be doing it in the competition, put the chalk bucket on the floor because that's where it's going to be. But leading up to the open, well, I always keep it right here. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to bend over like some commoner to my feet to, to chalk my hands. And so it's those little details. I'm like, they don't really matter, but it's that, it's that constant, like analyzing of like th that chalk detail, like it doesn't matter. Right. If you always chalk by your hands and you go to competition, you chalk by your feet, it's like, whatever. But if you're willing to do that, it shows the habitual act of like analyzing every little detail and eventually, and that's kind of what I took from Matt's book is it's like, there's tips in there that, you know, aren't even going to help me. And they're probably not going to help anyone that reads them, but it's like, no, it's the understanding that, you know, if he's willing to like dive into all those little things. Like when you go to some competition with some weird workout, you need to be thinking like, well, how is this going to play out? Like, what is every little single detail that could go wrong? How can I prep for that? And how can I like train? So I'm like ready for that again. So it's that kind of, um, try to just like, to yeah, just like you were saying that you were visualizing your swim meets, you know, like practicing those things. Like it's like doing a run through like a dry run by having yeah. all those just like a comp. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When, and you've always been known as this like high level strategist. Um, and that's how you got the name of the professor, right? Was there ever a moment where you had to like be able to turn that off in a competition and just let it rip or, is that not how you do things? That's a good question. Um, I have tried that. Uh, there was a period where I, I sort of gave that a whirl and, you know, it's important to, you know, we all, we all have our, um, like that, that's a strong aspect of me, but that's also, you know, where all my weaknesses come from, right? Your strongest character traits are also where your weaknesses come from. And so, you know, I have a, so I sometimes have a tough time falling asleep because I'm always thinking like, for example, and it's like, well, if you want to have good sleeps, then, you know, it's going to help you recover. So it's like, you know, there's these, they're combating, even though they're from the same route. And so I have tried kind of like shutting that off and just going like full primal. Um, 
and there's like a sweet spot in there and I, I can't go too far in that area. Um, you know, like, the, like in, in that analyzation, um, I don't think that's the word, but through analyzing and through prepping and, and through being very mindful, that kind of brings me peace and comfort. And then once I've established that base, then I'm at my, my best and, and I'm, I'm free to sort of express myself and express um, like kind of almost in like a, in a creative and artistic way. And so I think about the games this year where I think I struck a really nice balance because I was very dialed in, had all the little details, like, you know, planned to a T that weekend. Um, yet there were a lot of events where there was this like very strong, you could see it visually and I could feel it like emotional um, expression you know, like there was these really strong celebrations and, you know, it's kind of like this, I can see this look in my eyes when I watch some of the events, like I was like, you know, beast mode or whatever, but there was this very like aggressive feeling, but it sort of started from this, like, you know, I, I laid this groundwork for me where it's like, Brent, like everything's okay. Like you have everything planned, you know, you know exactly what you need to do. You've run through this event in your head, you know, you're perfectly warmed up, like all this stuff is there. So now, you know, you know that you're going to, do five sets of three, you know that you're going to break this up this way and now just let it rip. But it's still within like I, I, those, those rules that I've created and that strategy that I have, you know, I've memorized it. And so I don't have like, you know, the, the thruster wall walk workout, you know, I knew how I wanted to break up the thrusters. I knew how I was going to rest on the wall walk. And there was like no fear around, um, there, there was no trepidation there was no uh, resistance to going towards that point of, of failure or that point of fatigue, or even like, um, I think when I do really well, I'm not afraid to look silly. Like I'm not afraid to do something that's embarrassing. And I think that's very, very important uh, in any sport, probably more important than other sports than across it, but in something like volleyball or basketball, like in order to play great defense, you need to be willing to look like a fool, right? You need to be willing to, you know, if you play really tenacious defense, you are going to get burned. Like someone's going to dunk on you. Like it's going to happen, but you need to be willing to, to go up there and take the charge. Right. Um, and that's what a good player does. And in volleyball, it's like, you need to, you need to dive for every ball. You need to be, you know, on, like you need to have this uh, visual, you know, like relaxed anxiety where you're like, it, like your life depends on it. I'm going to, I'm not going to let that ball hit the floor. And so in CrossFit with that wall walk workout, you know, I was a sweaty mess. And when I finished my, I'd finished my last wall walk in each set and I was so exhausted. Um, and I just kind of like crawled up like a swamp monster. Like I didn't care that it didn't look athletic. You know, I kind of like, I just sort of like get onto my elbows and then like take a knee and kind of just do this really like unathletic, unattractive kind of crawl towards the bar instead of this like trying to like make myself look all proper. And cause I'm like, I just didn't care um, that it like didn't look cool or it didn't look, you know, a certain way. And when you realize that when you're actually willing to go to that point of like, I don't care what, you know, it looks like, I don't care if I'm sweating and I, I look like I'm trying, even if I think some people are afraid to truly give a hundred percent and it appears that they're just dying. And then it's like, that's a 15th place finish. I think for some people that's like embarrassing. And so you'll see some athletes and you see it, you know, um, you know, in other sports as well, where they'd rather like kind of look cool and look like they're not trying and come, you know, 17th. It's like, no, you need to be willing to die to come 15th. Right. Um, and like, you know, the best athletes in CrossFit, like they're not afraid to, you know, sprint to the finish line for that extra point between 21st and 20th, you know, in some random workout, third second day of competition, um, as opposed to just jog it in, um, you need to, you need to just be like, like really aggressive for that. And so like, I have that aggressive mindset, but for me, it needs to start with a plan. Okay. Well, you said, yeah. look like a fool. So that leads us to the all in movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, who came up with that concept? It was genius. Uh, they're my, some of my favorite things that I've ever watched, uh, associated with CrossFit, um, laugh all the time. Yeah. So, uh, if you, those of you who haven't watched it, go watch them. Um, so tell us is a, uh, 
you know, it's like Verizon or, you know, um, Virgin Mobile or whatever. It's a, it's a big, you know, company up here. They do telephones and uh, internet and they fund like content. And so there was, how did that happen? We, I had some mutual friends and, and these, this kind of director and a producer made a film about some local hockey team. And then TELUS really liked it. It was a really good piece of media. It was a little series. And they're like, well, we want you to do another one on something. And so they, you know, they knew me through some friends and they're like, Brent, let's do a, let's do a little documentary on you throughout the year and do like a four, four episode documentary and, you know, cover your, cover your 20, that was 18, 2018 season. And so we did it. And, uh, you know, immediately like, you know, kind of like bouncing some ideas around. And a lot of them were, you know, funny like they're they're funny guys and they, the hockey one was so serious for them like hockey's this like there's just no humor <laughs> in in the way that like they in in those teams and those people they talk to it's just so like hockey is life and you know it's like it's life and death and so there was I was a lot more open to some humor and they'd come in with these great ideas and then we'd kind of hash them out and yeah we had a lot of fun filming those so yeah like obviously the first the first bit was um you know, I'm like driving through Kelowna and like asking people like, oh, do you know who Brent Fikowski is? Which is me. And uh, no, I don't think so. Or, you know, um, <laughs> kind of rip on the fact that in this, you know, in this small CrossFit community, like people know who I am and I'm like pseudo famous when I walk into a CrossFit box, but everywhere else I'm like not. Um, and then from there, like Pat kind of did the same thing. And then, and then they, then they did, they did a season with Pat. And then they sort of did the final season, which was me, Pat, and a bit of Emily Rolfe as well. And then that one, we started with a like a bit of a very hokey um, 80s action movie intro where it was like, you know, coming out of retirement. That was a long time ago and that whole like MacGruber shtick. So, yeah, the uh, the frolicking in the lake, I think I fell <laughs> off my chair um, for you guys to give yourselves up that much for that scene frolicking in the lake was just hilarious yeah no we uh yeah it was a lot of fun and like you know even before that like i did the open humiliation back in 20 like 15 um and you know i've always like i've always had a sense of humor and i think i just like to entertain um and so you know that was an opportunity to just and at the time the open humiliation was kind of a way to you know get a little bit of traction on instagram as well like you know me and a couple other guys only had a couple hundred followers or thousand followers so kind of like you know building a little momentum there and having a bit of fun and a rivalry because the open we were all pretty confident we were going to make it through to regionals so we're like oh let's you know put a little put a little skin in the game so what is I'm your favorite payoff from those bets oh man there's a video of nick Urankar uh when he um <laughs> had some wasabi for losing one of the open ones that one always cracks me up um and yeah, what were some other good ones, man? There were who, who did the poem in the bathtub? I sang in the bathtub. I know I, we wrote we wrote a song, we wrote a poem for someone. I helped write a poem for Travis Williams, <laughs> and I should have. I, I it made it funnier because his reading of it, like there was there was this like cadence to it that I wanted him to to do, and there was even a line in there that was uh, it was um it was a ripoff of like an Eminem song, but like he didn't know that. So his cadence was just all messed up. And so, and like, uh, who, who did a funny one as well? Um, I think uh, Luke, um, Lucas Esslinger did a, did a poem to like CrossFit and Dave and Greg. Uh, this was like in 2019, I think. And, um, and then like throwing the water balloons at Scally was really funny because we had like this little open announcement. So it wasn't, wasn't the official CrossFit open announcement, but Reebok was doing some like activations in Canada. And so it was at this gym and we all went there and, you know, like Michelle Latondra was there and Lindy Barber was there and she was still an individual athlete. And, and then Mitch and Scally, me and then Scally lost. And we were just like whipping these balloons at him in like the middle of winter. It was so bad. He's wearing this Speedo and just pelting him with eggs and water balloons in the parking lot. It was so good. So yeah, those are, those are fun times. I don't think we'll do it again this year. It's just like, I got so much going on that I haven't even like, had we not talked about it, I wouldn't even thought of it. So it's probably not going to happen this year, but those are good it's, times. It sounds like, it sounds like we have to do it. If we, we should get more followers that way, maybe we yeah, could, uh, maybe. Three of us yeah. could do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to finish up with uh, this off season um, in past off seasons. You've done some of the off season competitions this year. You elected not to. 
Um, was it, is that a strategic um, development? Yeah, um, it was, it was intentional for sure. Uh, it was just, you know, I think it, I, I kind of, there was a moment where I wanted to, and then when the reality of what that would have looked like sunk in, I realized I didn't want to. Um, and so, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of family, uh, since with the lockdowns. So that was kind of one thing, you know, lots of lockdowns in Canada. And I'm like, man, I haven't visited my grandparents. And I want to spend some quality time with them. Um, and then also just like wanted to get like structurally better at some specific things in training. And when we were talking to my coaches about like how much time we felt we needed to spend on that, it's just like, I'm like, well, if we want to be, if I want to be ready for a rogue or a Dubai or a Wadapalooza and still spend a bit of this time with family, go on a little vacation with Claire and then actually like get in some solid, you know, like a three week training block, another three week training block to work on some specific things. We were just kind of like, where does that fit in? If I need to also like, you know, for a competition, you just need to be good at everything. And I'm kind of at a point now where, you know, when I show up to compete, I, you know, like when I go to semis this year, it's like, I want to be the best Brent I've ever been, you know? And if I go to Wadapalooza, like, that's just how I view it. And so, some people are just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my thing and see where I am. And if I'm not at my best right now, that's cool. You know, but I'll, I'll be there for the games. And some people are like that and that's totally fine. And that's just not how I am anymore. Maybe there was a time where I was like that, but it's like, when I show up, I want to be, you know, as good as I've ever been, or like right there, or a little better, at least better in like, you know, some categories and maybe a little whatever right but i don't know i just didn't feel like i could bring that package and still work on the things i wanted to work on so that by the time this season rolled around i was you know i go to semis or i go to the games and i'm like oh i am like better at handstand push-ups i am better at chest of bars i have a better squat like those things are like quantifiably better um and like i didn't feel like i could do that in my training still be you know like at a really elite fitness level to like you know podium at those competitions it just it just all didn't really line up maybe next year but that's kind of where i was at so so how does your your mind and your body feel after taking that time off um do you feel more ready to go into the open and and the quarters uh it wasn't it wasn't time off <laughs> i was training hard but um no i know what you mean though it was it's different right it's different right you know like the open in the quarters like you know, I'm, I'm not expecting them to be, uh, you know, I'm not going to break any records. Um, I know that I'm not going to, uh, I'm probably not going to win the open. And I'm not going to win quarters. Um, you know, I should do well enough to qualify for semis and then at semis I'll be where I need to be. And like, you know, things are, things are trending well, but it's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to put this, you know, people, people talk about training. Oh, we lost one. Yeah, she had to uh, go coach. Okay. <laughs> a class starting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, people, I was thinking about this the other day. People talk about, you know, training your weakness and, uh, you know, getting, you know, people talk about training your weaknesses and they say they want to do that until they see what that actually looks like. And what that usually looks like is you need to take, you know, a step or two back to take two to three steps forward. Right. And so it's like, if I, you really, really, really want to, you know, improve your squat. Um, you know, you're going to need to maybe slightly change your technique. And when in doing that, you need to drop the weight for a bit and then the weight will come back up and then it'll get better than it was before. But during that, it's like, well, you know, maybe you won't be spending as much time on your running or your rowing or, or something else. So something else is going to take a hit and then hopefully you can, you can build that back up. And then, you know, you put 20 pounds on your back squat and then everything else stayed the same, but throughout that, that there's, there's these ebbs and flows. And, uh, you know, for me, my goal is, you know, semis and, and the games. And so, you know, through the open and quarters, there's going to still be a little bit of a little bit of a bump in a few of the, the quantifiable areas of fitness. And, you know, we're aware of that and shouldn't be, it should be not so much that it's a, you know, a problem for me qualifying, but it also means that I'm, you know, not going to be winning the open. Um, you know, so it's like, I, sometimes it's, it's interesting. You'll hear people talk about like, you know, wanting to do those things. And then when you functionally look at those things and what that is going to look like on a day-to-day -day and a month-to-month -month basis, there's going to be some moments of the year where you're not as good as you were the month before. 
in the broad scope of like what is fitness in the CrossFit terms. So like I joke with people and I say like, oh, I'm, you know, you know, I'm really good at CrossFit like twice a year, you know, at semis in the games, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, if, if right now you said Brent CrossFit games, like I wouldn't do that well right now. Like I'd be fine, but you know, I would, I wouldn't beat Brent in like the August Brent from six months ago. And it's like, well, haven't you been training for six months? I'm like, yeah, but there's some very specific areas that I would be better at than August Brent. And then I'll catch up and everything else. And then hopefully you'll see a Brent, you know, the year will go by and you'll go, Oh, like he's actually, you know, better in every category or very better. in you know, like three categories in the same in the rest or something like that. That's kind of how I see it. So. Well, I have no doubt that you have visualized this and analyzed this, how to become the best Brent for this, this CrossFit we'll, we'll season. We'll see. We'll see. I sure hope so. I have I, some days, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Some days I have my doubts. It's easy for me to like, you know, like draw this on, on the wall here, like Charlie Day. And uh, <laughs> like this all like, there's all these lines and stuff mm-hmm. and like conceptualize it. But it's like, you know, um, there's definitely moving pieces and there's uh, some risks taken and stuff. So hopefully it all works out. But we'll see. <laughs> Brent, this has been an awesome conversation. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. Yeah, no worries, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we bumped into each other. Yeah. At, uh, Wadapalooza there. And thanks, you, oh, thanks you, for the bath you, bomb. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so I um, yeah, I know I gave you that uh, CBDMD, a bath bomb, because they gave me one and I was actually going to use it at my hotel and I didn't have time and you can't take that stuff on a plane. Um, you can't take CBD across the border or else you'll be in trouble. So I was like, yeah. like, hey. I just like I was just looking for someone wearing nanos literally that was my like, like oh, <laughs> man did I look out yeah <laughs> yeah well thanks a lot Brent and good luck on this season yeah thanks guys appreciate it thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast remember you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.